What's up? Welcome, welcome to the State of Our Workforce, Where Are We Now? The Black History Month edition. You can find us here each month on LinkedIn Live where we take a deep dive into diverse, innovative, and effective workforce solutions that we're adopting at the National Fund to address local challenges across the country through our diverse and very talented collaborative network. With us today is Earl Buford, president of Kale and a member of the National Fund's board of directors and someone that I consider a mentor in the workforce development space. So super excited to have you here today, sir. How are you? What's good? Uh, so first of all, so good to be with you, Dr. Wilson. Uh, anytime I get time with you is a good day. Uh, uh, and the fact that we're having this conversation this month obviously is is poetic, but you know, we are gonna get into some, some, some in our time, short time together, some serious situations that we have to really think about and look to improve. Facts, facts. Okay, so let's get into it. So I dubbed this the <clears throat> Black History Month edition, and I want to frame our conversation by sharing some um, takeaways from articles that I've been reading, one in particular on the state of um, Black workforce in America. I don't think it comes as a surprise to you or me, but I'd love to get your reaction. And then if you could talk a little bit about um, how you're moving in the space, what you're doing, how you're leading Kale and operating the space to chip away at these things, um, these challenges, um, um, that that would be great. So does that work for you? Yes? Yes, okay, perfect. Okay, so um, an article that I've been reading looks at um, the history of the Black-White unemployment equity issue over the last six years. And what it highlights is that there's been no real change, right? Regardless of economic conditions, Black job seekers are still less likely to find work um, than their white counterparts, right? And so this data really looks at um, unemployment from 1963 to 2022. Uh, and notes that the black unemployment rate has been 2.1 times as high as um, whites on average. So there's been some ebb and flow, obviously, over the years, but writ large, um, not much sustained progress. And obviously, you and I could spend a ton of time digging into the drivers of these right. kinds of things. But the one that I want to lift up is um, one around anti-black discrimination in hiring process and the hiring process and how it plays a major role in perpetuating this. And so we'd love to get your thoughts and and just like dig into that. So I'll ping it over yeah. to you. So the fact that, you know, the, the research is from 63 to 2022, 1963, I think to, that's a long time for this work. I uh, think back to my own career in workforce, a uh, short time in education started in 1995. So nearly 30 years into the work I've led or been a part of, we're still having this conversation. Um, I don't say that as a complaint, just like, okay, well, whatever we've done hasn't really worked. Um, uh, and we'll get into some uh, some things that we that we can talk about that could potentially help. Um, but I'd also think about, as unemployment is one piece you brought up, but also you know, the labor market participation rate, and which is really, really talked about in, in the field. And right now, the average is anywhere from 63 to 64% of some, someone, a person involved in the economy. Well, for African-Americans, this drops to 40% participation. And for African-Americans, 
African American men, it's high 30s, almost 3%. So that's another another tremendous drop in participation. And you talked about anti-black hiring. <laughs> you know, it, it, there's some outright scenarios we researched and talked about, and there's also the subtle. Um, you know, and I, I love my HR friends out there, but you know, um, they are confronted with this on a daily basis, um, sometimes through their own internal hiring biases, and then there's the industry-wide biases that we can also spend this entire time on. We know it's there. So what are some things to do? I mean, we, there's so many hardworking folks in the field, but I want to talk about a couple of things that CALE, and CALE stands for Council for Adult and Extension Learning, but that's too long to say, so we say CALE. We're a membership organization, 4,000 members. We um, are really kind of a, a systems alignment consulting group, if you want to really hone in on it. And we'll come back to alignment is needed to, to combat some of this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we, so years ago, we created this thing called, we call it 10 Principles, which is really a, a, a data-derived learning benchmark. Adult learners has been our focus, with a focus on uh, underserved populations, in black and brown, everything else that everyone else out there works on. Mm -hmm. We just revamped the, the, the 10 Principles into a framework called Allies Framework, which focuses on five primary themes. Affordability for adult learners and workers, uh, obviously, career connections and relevance. You know, how does degrees and credentials fit into, and how you deal with bias in hiring and, and, the, and the articulations between that, academic empowerment. I mean, let's be honest, true middle class empowerment is getting degrees and, and moving forward. Mm -hmm. um, student support, you know, what's really needed. I'll come back to some practices on that. And I'm going to say this last just for this page uh, diversity, equity, inclusion. And that's really the centerpiece of our work. Our work is built about adult learners of color, adult learners uh, of gender, and that nature. So really hone in on that. So these five themes are we're focusing on each category, but also the research and the evaluation to support that, or find holes in, in, in the support mechanisms that are needed. Um, embedded in that is a practice called credit for prior learning. You should know a prior learning assessment. The reason I'm bringing this up because in this this unemployment piece, you know, do you need college? You, your credentials more important, stackable. I, I don't like the debate because yes to all of it. Right. You need all of it <laughs> to combat this. Right. You may need a, a credential to get that first job, but you need another right. credential to get that second job. You need a degree to get the $100,000 job. You know, right. we keep going. So I, I don't like that debate because I want right. all of it. But one thing I do want to mention in, as a tactic in some of this is this whole credit for prior learning piece. And not just because that's our work, but I think it's an underutilized tool. It can be used uh, mm -hmm. in higher education, it can be used in workforce practicing. Um, so with credit for prior learning as an inclusive process, mm -hmm. we found that in higher education, degree obtainment, 22% more students who are able to work in university that uses credit for prior learning, which is the process for your work experience becoming credits. 22% um, are, are, uh, will complete. Uh, also, because you're focused, you're going to save anywhere from uh, uh, $2,000 to $10,000 in your college career. Another last thing I want to say on the average, because you know the, the fight that most um, academia says, well, it's going to uh, <clears throat> is we're going to lose money in this process. But mm -hmm. the research has said 18% or higher will will um, will complete other college credits because they're focused on what they want more they're more likely to get minors they're more likely to you know complete get minors continue with their, their growth both for other degrees so i just wanted to mention that 
because only 10% of the universities in this country utilize it. So think about all this research and, and we know folks need degrees because, you know, even job, you know, otherwise we wouldn't have this debate. So right. I just want to use this as it's another a tool in the closing equity gap because yeah. it's hard to, it's hard, we only have to have this debate anymore. Sorry, go ahead. No, I mean, like, shout out to prior, um, prior credits. I mean, that was also, I mean, that really got a big push back during the Obama administration through the right. tact initiative. Like, that was a key part of it. So I, I like the multi-pronged um, approach that you're talking about. And so that really pivots me to things that we're doing at the National Fund, yep. um, what we're talking about. Um, last week, we had the benefit of um, being in conversation with Claire Minson, uh, discussing an article that she wrote for LinkedIn, and I think Josh can probably pull that up um, about the 10 things our field must do if we want to yes. field as in workforce development, if we want to realize um, a racially equitable and just society. And so it talks about working at racism, um, working at all four levels at racism. So it's uh, all the time, right? Just so the personal level, the interpersonal level, the institutional level and the structural level, right? And so um, that is that is something that we've been talking about um, at the National Fund. And I see we are, again, we could spend a ton of time on this, but <laughs> Um, I, I, um, that, that resonates to, with me when I listen to what you're saying and, and how you guys are thinking about the work, um, at Kale. Um, another piece that she talks about, we could dig into this a whole yes. other space, right, is around the narrative change piece. But I want to ping to what we're doing at the National Fund and how we're moving this conversation along. And so one of the things that we are really are leaning into is, level setting on the state of workforce and equity, workforce equity in black America. And that's like really looking at occupational segregation. We have some work that we're starting to um, lift up around that and also disparities in unemployment, wealth and more. And I just wanna say like, this is where data is really critical. And one of the things that we're doing at the National Fund is making that data available to our network. We have a workforce equity dashboard that really, that lifts up, that identifies nine indicators that we think are critical um, to workforce equity. And so um, our sites, our communities have access to this level of data. Um, and we've done custom indicators, custom um, data for some of our sites that aren't really included in larger data sets. So that's one of the ways that we're working on it. But so, as I said, we could get into this on and on and on and on. Well, well please <laughs> know, know this, Dr. Wilson, that the National Funds dashboard is framing our work and supporting oh, yes. our work. And so I just wanted to make sure that folks know that. And the reason I'm on the board is one, I've, I've always, I love the National Fund, but two, I wanna be closer to this work mm -hmm. so that I, we can utilize these tools in, in, in the field that, um, in the field that we're, the work that we're doing. Right. Okay. Um, fantastic, so as we shift to wrapping up our time here, I'd love to just um, ping to you and get your thoughts on three things that we should or should not be focused on as we move forward with regard to workforce equity. Since we have limited time, I think the, this whole alignment of, um, and folks are doing it, but if we want scale, we have to have, and, and equity in the middle of that scale, we have to align uh, employers and industry with higher education, with workforce practitioners. We cannot just think of one path or one job anymore. It's really, a, I like to say, a path-to-pathway model yeah. with equity as a, center, um, as, a, as a centerpiece of that work, uh, <clears throat> because of if one is doing it well, if industry is doing well, that's still not that's still not connecting well to the credentialing piece. If workforce practitioners are really fighting, but they have nowhere to there's nowhere they're nowhere to train their their trained folks can go, it's not going to work. We have right. to have them take a triangle if you want to call it that, but it has to be aligned 
um, aligned ecosystem approach with equity as the centerpiece of that. Facts. And that's where HR, other things get into play. Okay. All right. So I'm getting the ping that we need to move on. So once again, <laughs> I want to thank you, my brother. <laughs> and to those of you out there in LinkedIn land, uh, and in the words of Jay-Z, you could have been anywhere in the world, but you're here with me. And I appreciate that. Be easy, everybody. <laughs>of our workforce where are we now is a production of the national fund for workforce solutions this episode was produced by josh enoch the music in this episode is produced by alex productions you can find past episodes of state of our workforce on our website at www.nationalfund.org state of our workforce is also available on spotify apple podcasts google podcasts wherever you may listen state of our workforce airs live monthly on linkedin Follow the National Fund for Workforce Solutions on LinkedIn to get updates about the next live recording of State of Our Workforce.